Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 215 with seven-time world champion, Lane Beachley AO. How are you today, Lane? Good, thank you, Dale. How are you? I'm great. Now, as I said before, this is recording on a Friday. I want to start with something different today, Lane. So I'm going to give you two options. Would you like to start with a fun Friday question or a fun Friday game? Ooh, fun Friday game. All right. Perfect. All right. So this game is very simple. This will get our mind going so then we can have an epic conversation. All right. So we're going to count up. We'll take it in turns. I'd say one, you'd say two, but any multiple of three. So three, six, nine, 12, and a number with 13 in it. If it's on me, I need to say Lane. If it's on you, you need to say Dale. And we'll see how high we can get. Okay. Do you want me to start or do you want to start, Lane? You can start. Okay. One. (laughs) Two. Lane. Four. Five. Dale. Seven. Eight. Lane. Ten. Eleven. Dale. Lane. Fourteen. Lane. Sixteen. Seventeen. Dale. Nineteen. Twenty. Lane. Twenty-two. Lane. <laughs> Twenty-four. <laughs> oh, <I see>. no. <laughs> oh, man. I'm. You know what? Not many times I can say I've been a seven-time world champion, but that was. <laughs> I played that one a lot. So, thank you very much for that. A uh, little bit of fun. If you are following along at home, that's a game you can play. Now, Lane. Before we start, I want to give a huge shout out to Jody, your CAO, uh, because I deal with a lot of people booking and interviews and things like that. She has been amazing and such a lovely person. Aww. How, how important is it to have a good team around you? Absolutely integral. If you want to achieve anything in life, you become the sum of the quality of people you surround yourself with. So I'm always surrounding myself with good people. And Jodie's one of those people, you know, she has great attention to detail and she represents me with a lot of pride. And uh, I, also, I also have a lot of trust in her. So it's great to have your feedback on how well she's been to, or how good she's been to deal with. Oh, incredible. Yeah. So I, I think that's really important. Thank you very much, Jodie. Now, Let's start, Lane. One of the things I want to know, what is the feeling? So the closest I've probably got to this is Torquay Back Beach, go ride a wave on a foam board, feeling the thrill. Now, I haven't dropped in from 50-foot waves. What is it like, you know, when you drop in on these amazing waves? It's scary as hell, but it's <laughs> adrenalizing as well. <laughs> it fills me full of adrenaline and excitement and yeah, it, it really, it's fearful as well. You know, I do experience fear on those particular big days. Uh, I don't chase 50-foot waves anymore. I've, you know, I've, had, I've done it once. So I don't need to do it again, <laughs> much like surfing owls at, um, at Botany Bay. But I still chase my fair share of big waves around, you know, the northern beaches of Sydney. And I must admit, there's days that I still get really scared. Yeah, I could imagine. And I know you, you did that 50 foot, which is, for people listening, that's five stories high. What what was the feel? I want, to, I want to get to your career and everything like that, but something like that, was it adrenaline? Was it absolutely packing your dax? What, what was going through your mind? Like? <laughs> well, fortunately, not much was going through my mind. And that's what <laughs> happens with fear. <laughs> fear does tend to bring the best out in me because it really centers me and it makes me focus my attention on the present moment. The challenge that we have is when we're in a state of fear, we tend to oscillate between the present and the past to predict the future. 
And it's a matter of letting go of the past and the future and just focusing on what you can control right here, right now. So right when I was standing on the precipice of that 50-foot wave, which essentially is the, pre the precipice of growth and opportunity, I had the presence of mind and I was committed to my processes and I knew what I needed to do. And right when I was about to commit to driving down the biggest wave of my life, the first thought that came to mind was don't fall. <laughs> and we tend to experience this when we're in a state of fear or when we're on the state of we're in the precipice of challenge or growth or opportunity. The ego is usually the first to, to spark up and say, no, you can't do it. And it makes you doubt yourself, question yourself and judge yourself. So when I had the words don't fall in my mind, I knew that was my ego saying, pull back, pull back, pull back, because I don't want you to put yourself in a state where you can possibly die, which obviously that is the worst case scenario on a 50-foot wave. <laughs> it's your ego's job to keep you safe. It's your ego's job to keep you in a life of predictability and mediocrity because your ego loves to be validated. So if your ego says, no, you can't do it, and you pull back, you've just proven yourself right. You've just validated yourself and your ego says, yes, I told you so. Damn, I win. On that particular wave, when my ego went, don't fall, I had the presence of mind to ask myself, what do I want? Because quite often we focus on what we don't want and wonder why we manifest a whole lot of it. My presence of mind in that moment said, Lane, what do you want? And I said, I just want to stay standing because if I stay standing, I'll achieve the outcome. Let's simplify yep. this, shall we? So that's what I did. I focused on staying standing and I put my weight forward and I drove down the wave and I made it and full of adrenaline and excitement and fear. And I went back out and did it again because I'm no one hit one up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So what you're really just saying there is that is probably an extreme form of mindfulness that a lot of people would never get because you've blocked out the past, you've blocked out the present and you were so in the moment. It, it, is that what you'd sort of put that down to like a, an extreme yeah. form of mindfulness? Well, it's an extreme form of flow. Yep. You know, when you, you, you know, when you're blocking out all of the external circumstances and the only thing that you're aware of is what's happening within you, what's the only thing that you're aware of is what's going on internally. How, how connected are you with this present moment? That flow, the connection is the flow. It's not the thought or the action, it's the connection. And when I recognized that I had the power to change how I was feeling through just changing the words, it had a profound impact on me because it taught me the ability to relax and control myself under extreme amounts of duration and pressure, which complemented my, my competitive surfing career as well. I'm sure it did. And and that word flow that you can find it in all different ways. I talk about it. I use play a lot. So when you're playing, mm. you're in the moment, you're in flow, but um, you get it in so many different ways. And for you, do you, have you found any other like aspect or time in your life besides surfing, because obviously that has taken up so much of your life, your career, and, and you love it. I know you still surf every day. Is there any other areas of your life that you've found flow similar to that? Immersing myself in nature is where I experience the most amount of flow because it's a, it's an, it's a visceral experience. And so I'm, I'm incredibly immersed and I'm not thinking I'm just feeling and just, and just connected with my environment. So just whenever I'm in nature, I, I find myself more in a state of flow than a state of thought and a state of analysis. And other areas of my life, I'd say when I was building my online course, the yep. Awake Academy and Own Your Truth, I, I found myself in and out of states of flow. And that was because flow happens right on the border of challenge and um, comfort. 
And so when you find yourself in this middle ground, it's like you, you've worked really hard to get to this point, but you're also really comfortable with your being in this kind of agitation. Um, and it makes you step outside of what you know and embrace something holy and something new. And that's what I found myself doing when I was building my course as well. Yeah. So it's as an athlete, you know, I can actually reflect on all the different contests I won in the state of flow. And uh, I wish I could just tap it. You know, I wish I could bottle, bottle it, it up and it. sell it. <laughs> right. I'm in flow today. But it's not that easy. <laughs> now, we are going to talk about your course because I'm really excited about that. And I know you've got a, for people listening, we've got a special bonus if you stick around to the end because we've got a lovely discount code for you. But let's be honest, let's go back to growing up in Sydney, Northern Beaches. Did you know you were destined to be the, one of the greatest ever female sport icons in Australia? How did it start out? Did you Were you just a competitive beast and grew up that way? Or was that something you moulded yourself into, Lane? Well, I certainly didn't aspire to become the icon or hero that you refer to. I aspired to just be the best that I can possibly be. And that means I never placed any athlete above me. I didn't have heroes. I had mentors. I didn't have heroes. So I didn't post have posted children on my wall saying, I want to be like her or I want to be like him because then that's compromising who I am. And so the, I feel that that gave me a bit of a, a distinct advantage, a competitive advantage, because I was clear about who I was and who I wanted to be. I was a competitive beast as a child. I, I grew up with a, an older brother and a dad. I lost my mother when I was six due to um, horrendous circumstances. She died on the operating table having a cosmetic surgery procedure of all things. So as a six-year-old, of course, I had the benefit of the lack of understanding of forever. However, it was a deeply impactful and traumatic period. And the one thing that helped me through it was my love of surfing and my love of being outdoors and my love of sport and my love of activity. So I was able to immerse myself in competition as almost a coping mechanism as well as joy and play. And then when I started surfing more regularly and had declared to myself, okay, I'm going to become a world champion surfer at about 14 years of age, I decided that then um, that's when I encountered a lot of threats and hostility and challenge. And that was before I even paddled out, right? There's a lot of guys out there that, that didn't like this cocky, confident, competitive child in the name of Lane, who also referred to as Gidget. And that really gave me the, um, some valuable lessons in standing up and fighting for what I believed in. But the goal was just to become a world champion. And it wasn't until I became a one-time world champion that I'd realized, okay, I want to do this a whole lot more and I became oh, addicted imagine. to it and I held on to it like you can yeah like obviously I held on to it quite strongly <laughs> <laughs> you, you did you did big time and, and one thing I love about what you're saying is that um, you had mentors and I think that's really important but you never compared yourself to other people because I think comparison is it's a never-ending rabbit hole you'll go down and if you keep comparing you'll find things in it you're just never going to you're never going to live up to that so obviously growing up when you were 14 you go right I'm gonna be a world champion and you stuck to that did that change throughout your career when do you know what I mean there might have been other people doing certain tricks or different ways of riding did did you ever fall down that trap of comparison or are you that just strong will-minded that you're able to block that out and not let it affect your performance and um, your mindset I wish I had that intestinal fortitude to say no I never compared myself to anybody but of course I did it's human nature one thing I do like to say is comparison leads to a sense of inadequacy you are never going to feel enough the more, as long as you compare yourself to someone either better off or worse off. It doesn't matter. You're still going to 
it's still going to impact how you feel about yourself. So I had to start comparing myself to myself and that means holding myself accountable and being my only, my honesty barometer and looking in the mirror and if my results aren't uh, stepping up, my results aren't fulfilling my expectations of myself, then I have to ask myself the tough questions. What am I doing that's holding me back? What am I thinking? What am I saying? How am I feeling? So in the times that I didn't have the courage to look in my own reflection and ask myself these questions, I had my dream team around me who brought it out in me, who held me accountable, who basically said, you got to pull your head out of your ass because what you're doing is getting you further away from your goal, not closer to it. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it was valuable to be able to learn those lessons early on. But in saying that, when I joined the tour, I instantly compared myself to my peers and thought, oh, my God, because I those those peers that I was comparing myself to were highlighting all of my flaws and all of my weaknesses. Yeah. So yeah. it was a good opportunity for me to look at what I was doing and then determine well, what do I need to do now? Yeah. I couldn't and imagine am I that. willing to? Yeah. Of <laughs> co- well, that's, that's the thing. Am I willing to face that and move on with it? I suppose. So let's go back 14 year old. When you said, right, I'm going to be world champion. Um, like you said, female, athletes back then do you know what I mean there was not the limelight on and particularly surfers is a very male dominated arena so how did you overcome oh, the criticism the backlash uh everything that was thrown at you and just say piss off I'm going to do this and just and you did it you proved everyone like unbelievable so three things that I utilized first was my clarity of vision I was very clear on what I wanted to achieve and who I wanted to be so knowing who I want to be and how I want to show up that helped me define and then design my dream team. So the people who are going to elevate me and nurture me and challenge me along the way, people who are going to console me in my losses, they're going to celebrate my successes, but they're always going to be there nonetheless. And then lastly was the actions that I took. So holding myself accountable to take the actions that got me closer to my dream team or closer to my vision. And then when there was times when I was stepping away from my vision, my dream team would be able to intervene and start correcting the actions that I was taking. So that's kind of like my, my, my model to sustain success, really, that can be applied to anyone at any time of their lives in any profession. Mm, I love that. And is that now what you sort of, I know you do so much speaking and keynotes and everything like that. Is that the same yeah. as a 14-year-old Lane, that same vision and outlook, is that what you sort of project now and, and share with others? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the model that I talk to. When I reflect back on the 14-year-old lane, if only I was so conscious to be able to have designed that model. Uh, you Because know, <laughs> there were times, 2020 hindsight, right? <laughs> there were times when I, when, I, when I wasn't clear on my vision, but I was clear on who I wanted to be. And so that helped me prevent, well, prevented me from being sucked into peer group pressure and doing things that I would regret, such as taking drugs and picking up cigarettes and drinking alcohol um and so that those choices were easily made for me yeah. uh, there was times when I did um crumble under peer group pressure and would go out and drink but I never did drugs and I never I've never to this day smoked a cigarette and I'm really proud to have honored my health in that way there was one other thing that I did that I feel is really relevant to this day and I found male allies going into a male dominated environment I really made I, I made a concerted effort to introduce myself and make friends with the best surfers in the water because then they started looking after me and uh, I recognized that if I if I want to be the best surfer in the world I need to surround myself with better surfers than I am and when you surround yourself with the best you save yourself a lot of time 
Mm, and that, that metaphor is that's very popular and common now that um, if you're the smartest in the room, you're in the wrong room lane. And essentially yeah. you were, you were way ahead of your time because it doesn't matter if you're in a boardroom, a classroom, a gym or in the ocean, if you are with people that are better than you, that will help you grow, continue to develop. That's a, that's such a smart thing to do really, isn't it? Yeah. And it certainly elevated me and, and shortcut my struggles as well. It allowed me to learn from the best and, ask really annoying questions and you know Wendy Wendy both are recalled she often refers to me as just a pain in the ass because I just kept asking how do you do that and why do you do that and what happens then and how can I apply it and who do you work with and you know it's like she's just like shut up (laughs) but I I had so much respect for Wendy and how fit and strong and tenacious and and her mental attitude. So uh, I, I attempted to learn from the best as much as I can possibly learn. And, and like you say, I, I wasn't the smartest in the room. And, and um, I always loved to ask questions. I was naturally curious and, uh, and still am. I think one of the best bits of advice I've ever been given, Lane, is if you're talking, you're not learning. And I think that's really mm. what it comes back down to quality questions. Like if you're always asking quality questions and normally that'll lead to a quality conversation, is that something that you were taught or, or you just wanted to learn? You're like a sponge. Well, it's definitely like a sponge. But when you say if you're just talking, you're not learning, how does that pertain to a keynote speaker who stands well, on stage 50 weeks a year and talks <laughs> to people? Does that mean you whole year. I'm not learning? No, 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 no. Because I'm sure you learn after it. Sometimes the learning takes place afterwards. But I find if you're yeah, in no, a social I, setting. Or... Yeah, no, I, I do tend to learn when I'm on stage because I'm constantly analysing my audience. Well, now I can't do that because it's all virtual. But <laughs> I get I get the point, you know, people tend to want to tell before they listen and learn that's themselves. What I mean. yep. and, 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 but that's the great thing. We all teach what we need to learn ourselves. So yep. often I'm listening to what I'm saying going, actually, you know what? I need to apply that to my own life right now. Yep, yep. And uh, and so it's always valuable to have conversations with people who challenge you. And and, uh, and I tend to surround myself with people who aren't agreeable. You know, my husband's a, a devil's advocate. He's the first to pick the pick the eyes out of something. So he's um, he I can draw very positive conclusions and he can take me to the opposite side of that spectrum and it gives me a really healthy balance of perspective yeah because if you have just yes men or or pump your tires up all the time you are going to get inflated and pop and i totally agree with that so let's go back to six in a row because nobody has done this from 1998 you went six in a row now i can't imagine how you how did you keep the drive like first of all winning one would have been incredible but then how did you go right i'm just going to keep going year after year after year and win six in a row be the best in the world like how did you do that like that's crazy the simple answer is i used to i'd start every year by wiping the slate clean so i didn't feel like i was defending anything i was chasing after as much as my competitors were However, I also backed myself based on my experiences. So I wiped the slate clean, but I didn't wipe it completely clean where I thought I've never done this before. I wiped it clean as far (laughs) as what the expectations were. And I went, all right, I've been here before. I know what to do. The other thing that I did was I brought a new skill or technique to the table every year. So it made my competitors look over their shoulders, wondering what Blaine bringing to the table this year. And are we able to go? Are we going to be able to match it and keep up with it? Um, I invested more in the process that I did most than most of my competitors. 
So that gave me a distinct competitive advantage. So I focused more on my equipment, my nutrition, um, and probably my fitness, those three things, more than the rest of my peers did. So that gave me a competitive advantage as well. So it was a matter of finding all my competitive advantages. And then the last thing I realized, and this wasn't until I won my sixth consecutive world title, was what was wrapped up in the drive? You know, it's one thing to set out these processes and do all the right things and, you know, stay a step ahead of your competition. But why? Why are you doing this? What's driving you to get up every day and commit to doing this? And I had the awakening after I won my sixth world title when a friend of mine asked me, why are you so driven? Do you think it's because you're adopted? And I went, oh, yeah, that's 100% it. That's what's driving me. So that made me realize that my whole sense of self-worth, my identity was wrapped up in my success, which is what made it such a roller coaster ride. Because when I was succeeding, I was up. And when I was defeated and, and failing, I was deeply down. And there was it was just like this all the time. So it made it an exhausting experience. So the purpose behind the course is to help people shortcut that and detach from that and trust in the fact that it can just be like a speed bump. Yep. You know, success and failure can be more of a speed bump ride than a freaking roller coaster, which is what yeah. I was on for six years. Because it, it's tiring. Like, it's tiring yeah. always chasing that. You, you're in that flight or fight state and you, you, you're not really in the comfort zone. So did you celebrate these wins or was it like, no, I'm on a mission. I'm going on to the next one. Did you allow yourself to say, geez, Lane, I'm amazing. That's awesome. That's one in a row, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Did you allow that to happen? Or you said, no, business as usual, let's go. Yeah, BOA for a couple of years. I, <laughs> I celebrated the first one. And I didn't celebrate the second one. So I learned when I reflect on the period of winning all my world titles, I learned that um, I anch uh, celebration anchors success. And I only remember the world titles by the way I celebrated them. Because I, I don't remember competing for them. I remember how I celebrated them and then that anchored them in my memory and my heart. So the second one didn't cop, didn't receive a celebration. Therefore, I don't remember winning it but the first wow. one yeah i celebrated you know i celebrate and and it doesn't have to be this elaborate celebration that was quite a simple celebration the first night uh when i won my first world title i think i had a glass of wine with dinner and went and took myself out and had an ice cream you know that was that was it <laughs> that was it um the third one however was uproarious celebration that ended up being a outrageous like mexican tequila party um <laughs> And the girls were going ballistic and the guys were so kind of taken back by our behavior that they all just sat back on the bench. And kind of just like, on the wall? <laughs> girls are freaking mad. <laughs> so, yeah, on the fourth one, uh, I because I was at a time in women's surfing where we didn't really have the support of the industry as much as they do today, I actually had to pay for my own world title parties. So wow. I, would, I invited the whole tour out to dinner at the outback because we always were competing in maui when i won my world title so and there was one aussie place called the outback steakhouse outback. and so <laughs> i took the whole tour and the sponsor and paid for it myself and that was the fourth one and then the fifth one after celebrating with everybody i had a little quiet time to myself where i paddled out at 10 o'clock at night at Camiland, which is the surf break across the channel from sunset beach on the north shore of oahu there Paddle out at 10 o'clock at night naked under a full moon. 
Isn't that, that amazing? Be. That's amazing how different you've celebrated all of them. And I think it's unique because each one reminds you of a different period of your life and probably how you're changing. And and by the time, it probably sounds like by the fifth one there that you didn't need to celebrate that with anyone. It was probably time to cherish it with yourself. And does that come down, did, winning all these titles, was there any self-doubt in their lane? Because like if you're just dominating, but you, people may have seen this facade you're putting on, deep down was there... Was there just confidence overloading or was there self-doubt? What was actually going through that period? Was it a roller coaster? Yeah, the roller coaster was filled with self-doubt, self-sabotage, self-loathing. And those three things really made my journey a lot more challenging than it needed to be. So I was in a state where one day, like I said, I was really euphoric and excited. I'm winning. And then the next day, based on something that happened externally, would throw me off kilter knock me off course and I'd be in a state of self-sabotage and self-loathing and that was a really inconsistent stage and that was world title two three four five and six believe it or not so I often say I'm a seven times world champion I've won six consecutively but five were in a state of fear and that was numbers two to six and those states of fear are basically a reflection of my mental state and my emotional state which is you know they're one they're aligned with each other, how you think determines how you feel and how you feel determines how you act. So when I became aware of that, I was able to shift it, but not before it had a monumental negative impact on my performance or how I was feeling and how I was thinking. And then that took a whole lot of energy to lift myself back up. And then I ended up and, you know, encountered a lot of injuries in that phase as well. So yeah, when I reflect on it, I go, oh my God, it was just taxing and it was so much harder than it needed to be. But that was because I was so invested in struggle. Like I believe success had to be hard and I certainly made it so. Yeah. And and like you said, does that, do you think that comes back down to, um, I know you figured out uh, at the age of eight that your, your, your father said that you're adopted. Do you think that was sort of part of it that you were, you were struggling because it's sort of been certain areas of your life. You know, you lost your mother at six and then at 27, um, I've read your book, so I know all this. Um, <laughs> at 27, your, your uh, biological mother rang you and it was just like so many different areas of your life going on. And did it feel like you were a tug of war rope getting pulled left, right and centre and you just didn't know where you sort of stood? Is that sort of what you're saying from that, you know, those five in a row that was fear-based? Yes, yeah. There was a lot of external circumstances that... that contributed to the fear but ultimately it was intrinsically driven and that was because deep in my soul I believed I wasn't enough and I had designed or defined success as becoming the most successful surfer in history the record book suggested that Kelly Slater was the most successful because he won five in a row I'm like well screw you Kelly I'm gonna go with six. <laughs> <laughs> Love and, that. and not un- and not until I had achieved that was I going to be deserving or worthy of love So the golden egg I was striving for was the desire to be enough. And how I defined being enough was becoming the most successful surfer in history. So until that point, don't talk to me about adopting mother, you know, my biological mothers or injuries or failed relationships or strained experiences with my peers or, you know, don't talk to me about any of that. That really has that's inconsequential at this point in time. (laughs) Because what I'm focused on is being enough. However, because I was so unconscious of that driving force within me, I knew there was fear. I just didn't know what it was. Um, it, I allowed all those other things to come into play and I used them as excuses 
and reasons and hooks to hang my shit on to say, you know, it's all your fault. Oh, yeah, you don't understand me. Yeah, you got in my way. Yeah. So it became this lay blame thing. Yep. And that was also very toxic and uh, incongruent with who I truly am. Mm. So when, when you won that six, did it change anything? Did you find yeah. that love? Did you find that happiness? Or did you realize, oh, it, it, it's, it's inside me that I need to change? Or what happened? Yeah, I, when my girlfriend asked me that question, why do you think you're so driven? Is it because you're adopted? And I just went, I, am, I, I felt like this whole world was lifted off my shoulders when I became aware of it. And I just went, oh, I'm enough now. Because yep. I'm allowing myself to be enough now. Why did I put my happiness and my state of enoughness and my sense of self-worth so far into the future wrapped up in an experience that I had zero control over? Why did I do that? <laughs> well, it's because I was completely unconscious of it. Yeah. Totally unconscious of it. Completely disconnected. And then when I experienced that, I went, oh, okay, I'm enough now. And I went, <laughs> let's go for seven. Let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then my body broke down. <laughs> so do you think once you... So it you take did, a couple of years. You achieved it. And do you reckon that's why your body sort of shut down? Because you had this outrageous goal that probably no one thought was possible ever and it'll probably never get beaten again but do you think once you got there that everything started to shut down you i don't know is that is do you reckon something like that happened absolutely yeah, yeah because it's similar to if you think about people who don't manage stress very well which i am also one of those if you go on holiday and you wonder why you get sick in the first week i'm that's one of those too. Evidence, <laughs> yeah, so that's an unhealthy stress pattern or if you're keeping it together at work, but then when you come home, you lose your shit, then that's an unhealthy stress pattern. And then if we if we are unconsciously being driven through those unhealthy stress patterns, we can't really change what we can't see. So we often address the symptom more than the cause. And my body broke down because it needed a break and I wasn't willing to give it a break because now I had decided that I wanted to go and do it again. And so essentially my body just went, nah, you're not doing it again. Not on my watch, not in this way, not right now. Yeah. And I had to honor that. And it took me a lot of, it took a lot of courage and strength and, and resilience to go, just to pull back and go, okay, I surrender. All right. I'll allow my body to heal itself. And uh, I'm really grateful that I did because that's what enabled me to come back with a completely different mindset and a whole new approach to then win my seventh world title. And I'm guessing that feeling of your seventh, uh, once you'd sort of gone through that awakening, uh, was completely mm. different. Like it would have been a whole different experience. Did you go surfing at 10 o'clock naked again at the end when you celebrated? <laughs> or was there was there a different thing? It was burritos, nachos, ice cream. What, what was the feeling like when you sort of had come to terms with yourself and you'd sort of found that happiness inside? Well, the, the roller coaster ride turned into the little speed bump. So when I would win... Normally when I won, I would celebrate. And then when I lost, I would bore my eyes out. Whereas in 2006, competing for my seventh world title, when I won, yay, this is amazing. When I lost, oh, that was a really valuable lesson. When I won, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. When I lost, hmm, I learned something really valuable today. Okay, let that one go, move on. So you can yeah. see just the speed bump. I wasn't emotionally attached to it. I was emotionally attached to the process. I wasn't emotionally attached to the outcome. Yep. So the outcome therefore no longer defined me. It didn't dictate the terms of my life and the quality of my life to me. So it was a really 
enjoyable process. I'd sit in the water on a beautiful sunny day and go, my God, it's so beautiful out here today. And there's some fish and the water feels so good and the sun feels so good on my skin. Oh, it comes a wave. Okay, let's take it. Yeah. <laughs> Versus, okay, I've got 15 minutes to go. If I don't win today, then the stats, the ratings are going to change. And then if I don't win here, then that's going to put me behind by about 1,500 points. And to make that up at the next event, well, I'm not that great at the next event. And I don't know if I have the right of boards for the next event. I'm going to go and work on my fin. So <laughs> sabotaging the current moment because I'm thinking about a future moment that doesn't even exist. So, yeah, yeah that. That seventh world title taught me really valuable life lessons that now I apply to my life on a daily basis. The difference between the two to six and one and seven is very simple. One and seven were done in a mode that I refer to as a thriving mode. And the two to six were in survival mode. So if I'm in a state of struggle or I'm resisting or I'm rationalizing where I'm telling myself a bunch of rational lies or I'm hanging my hook or I'm laying the blame or I just can't seem to get it right and I'm frustrated and I'm tense and I'm angry, I'm back in survival mode. That's two to six. Yeah. But if I'm trusting and I'm a little bit more uh, accepting recognizing it's not all going to be easy if life is not easy life is hard and if we learn to accept that life is hard it'll no longer be hard yeah so just recognizing that things will ebb and flow and the more i can ebb and flow with them the, the more well the easier it'll be and the more i will thrive yeah and, and so true i love that word thriving so let's get into new awaken course because i absolutely love it i love it that it's a no bullshit course because i think how good <laughs> is that like it just really sums it up people go wow all right i'm intrigued now yeah. i really want to unlock that get straight into it so is this yeah. a combination of everything you've gone through um your upbringing your career um everything you've figured out and you've put it into a course do you want to probably better that you explain it lane because it is yours so what's it look like yeah. besides being the no bullshit course all right, so it's a seven-round online course to unlock your internal GPS. And what we mean by that is unlocking who you truly are, who you truly want to be, so you can live a life by design, not by default. So it's seven rounds because I won seven world titles. <laughs> I like it's, it. There's 19 videos to watch, and I actually was on tour for 19 years. And there's 29 workbook activities, and I won 29 events on tour. And that just <laughs> The seven, that was... So, you know, I manufactured that. But the other two, I just was counting and out going, oh, my God, the synergies here are remarkable. So Own Your Truth is all about helping people wake up. I want people to wake up, own their shit, and trust in love. Right now, we are so disconnected and we are so deeply ingrained in fear that there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of restlessness, there's a lot of unhappiness, which we're seeing on a global scale. So the purpose of this course is to help people create more confidence to center them in their in their own center you know detach from all of the stuff that's telling them that they're not good enough not smart enough not talented enough so as you suggested yes this course is 48 years of lived and learned experiences condensed into seven rounds 19 videos and 29 workbook activities from understanding the childhood traumas and turning them around to, to view them more as a positive learning or valuable stepping stone to growth to the lessons that I learned as a professional athlete going from having the compassion of a tiger shark which is zero empathy for myself and others 
to them being able to turn it around and, and compete and win in a state of love and trust. And then learning how to create boundaries around my time and my energy, especially in retirement, when I had the inability to say no for so long. So all of these lessons are condensed into this course. There's three chapters, two chapters, uh, one chapter around awareness, another chapter around alignment, and another chapter around awakening. And so we're creating an awareness of your feelings, your judgments, your stories, your triggers. You're going to align yourself with who you truly are, starting with an I am mantra and a meditation that was provided by my dear friend, Tammy Roos. And then you're going to align yourself with your dream team, identifying in your people, in the people that you have around you, are they dream thieves or are they dream teams? You know, Ooh, that's working, good. Yeah, yeah. Working how they, how they play into your life and, and whether you're a dream thief in your own life. And then the awakening is what you started with earlier with it's all about play, celebration, learning to celebrate success, but also learning to celebrate failure so we're not defined by it. And then I introduce people to my seven doctors, so seven things that I contribute that contribute to my overall health and well-being on a daily basis. I, I love that. And I think we've got more time than ever, particularly with this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, what better yes. way to invest in yourself and, you know, make a positive out of everything you've gone through. So um, where's the best place to find that? Everyone can go to awakeacademy.com.au and then they hit on the top right-hand tab, which is courses, and that'll take you to the Own Your Truth course. And then you can love it. jump on in and check it all out and read about it. Read about me if I haven't shared enough with you today. And, <laughs> uh, and you can also buy my books there if you want to read more about them. There you go. And it is a great book, by the way. I really recommend that. Thanks, now, Lane, I've got one thing I'd like to ask my guests before we wrap up. I know time is of an essence because if you listen to your schedule anytime, you are crazy busy and you are all over the shop. Are but one all? thing, I, oh, I think we are. I think we are. We try and not be. But um, if you could look back over your last 48 years and think back to 18-year-old Lane and give yourself one bit of advice from everything you've done, from win seven titles to living and surfing and doing everything all over the world, from writing a book to now releasing courses, speaking, keynotes, everything you've done, become an AO. How amazing is that? What one bit of advice would you give 18-year-old Lane? Oh, man, that's a tough one because I have to think about how, would, how was the 18-year-old Lane living and how would she receive advice? back then and so when I think about my 18 year old self I was fresh out of high school I was a fresh face on the tour I was tenacious I was competitive I was driven I was fearful I would say uh, honor your health because I had no idea about nutrition so the best piece of advice is learn how to cook as an 18-year-old because that compromised my health and well-being for many, many years until about four years later I learned how to cook because I travelled with a duo on tour who uh, owned a catering business and they taught me how to cook. But up until that point, I was dismal. So I didn't know really how to look after myself. But yeah, learn how to cook, Lane. Mm, I, I think that's a great bit of advice because uh, you what you put in your body is fuel. And if you're burning yeah. it as hard as you were, it's only a matter of time before something goes, I suppose. Yeah, and it was just a matter of time. 
well, guys listening, if you go to uh, episode 215, there is a special discount code. I'm not going to say it out long. So I want you to go and check it out there for Lane's course. Go and check it out. And as we said, COVID didn't come around for a reason. It came around for you to invest in yourself. And there is no better course because you have heard from Lane today herself. So Lane, thank you so much for uh, everything you've done for sport in Australia and I suppose around the world. Um, I know I've loved it. Check out your book um, and everything else you're doing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time to do today. Today too. Let me thank you so much, Dale. It's been great talking to you. <laughs> that was better. Lane, the old tongue twister. <laughs> thank you.